And so we pray this morning as we together focus on you, that you will help us. Not for our sake, but for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure some of you still are, would say, hangover from Christmas and feeling the holiday mood and dragged yourself this morning to church. Um, one thing that I get encouraged with when I read scriptures is that when you look at some of the things that the churches in the New Testament went through, you can easily relate. You can relate how they, they, they saved the Lord together. You can relate how at times they would put money and help another uh, believer or another uh, missionary. You can relate when there were differences in the church. And you feel like these are not super churches. These are just churches like we have churches. And therefore it becomes very real that the truth in scriptures can be easily applied in our lives. It's not like God is asking for something that is too high, that, that because it's in scriptures, therefore, it can't happen to us. But actually, God gave us scriptures to relate with scriptures. And one good thing is, there were people like us. One thing that, uh, from the text we've read this morning, that I'll be dwelling on with you, is the issue of unity. Many times, if you're a normal human being like me, there are relationships somewhere that are not really as strong. Some may, may be strong. Some you've just left them hoping that one day you wake, out, you wake up and things will be okay. Some it is very people very close to you. Some it could be your spouse. That things are not okay. And yet for the sake of public relations, you pretend like they're okay. Even you can be even here this morning, uh, we greeted outside there and you felt like, well, they don't know what's happening. But the good thing is the Lord knows what's going on. But how can you deal with such differences? How can we be united in our homes, in our workplaces, in churches? At IBF, we are so blessed. People from different backgrounds. It can be easily, easily, uh, we, we can easily be in contention with each other. When you look at the different cultures, where one gesture can mean a lot of things. But how do we deal with such difference? How can we remain united? And I think this morning from the passage we uh, Ennis read for us this morning, I want us to, to look at the example of Jesus Christ as as a solution to dealing with disunity, as a solution to deal with tensions in the homes, but also in the church. You need to remember that uh, it is Paul who wrote this letter in Philippians. So Paul was writing this letter because there were issues in the church at Philippi, and Paul was trying to deal with was trying to deal with issues there. Among many other things that were there, Paul was trying to deal with the issue of disunity that was there in the church. And one of them you can see in this passage we've read. Another one he's is, is talking about is in chapter 4, 
Actually, verse number one, there were two ladies there that we are not seeing eye to eye. It can happen someone here in the church, two people that really are not seeing eye to eye. Verse number two in chapter four. I entreat you, dear, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So Paul was in prison. He was writing this letter when he was in prison. One of the reasons that he wrote the letter, he heard about this disunity that was going on in the church. And I've said we know this because these differences, the call to unity, Paul is referring to it in the letter. But also Paul was wanting to thank the people at the church in Philippi because they had given contribution through Epaphroditus, who had come to visit Paul who was in prison. But in the same vein, Paul was thanking the church for the gift, but also he was sending Epaphroditus back, not as someone who had failed, but just recommending that he is coming back, not because he's, he's, he's bitter or he's failed to, to be with Paul. But the key thing that we're looking at this morning is to look at how can we be united as believers? If you are not a believer, if you're not a born-again Christian, this can't work for you. Right? This can't work for you. It will be just for a moment. But I'm talking if you are a believer and somewhere you experience tension between you and people, here is the antidote. Before we get to verses 5 to 11, let's just look at verses 1 to 4. That will give us the background to this whole passage. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, of, uh, comfort from love, and any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then we hit the verse uh, of the passage where we're focusing on this morning. Verse number five. Have this in mind about yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus. As we get in this passage, I want to share with you two elements that will help you in moments of conflict, but also in moments where there's tension with the relationships, that you understand the need for humility in such moments. So Paul is explaining what needs to happen if there's going to be unity. This can apply to the church, this can be applied between couples, this can be applied in the home. Many times, we stand in different places where we meet people and interact with people, we stand to be in conflict. So Paul is actually explaining a model of how you can be humble so that you can be united. Many have commented, commented on this passage that this is an amazing passage, and I agree it's an amazing passage. 
if you're going, if you study theology, we study a lot of lodges, lodges, you know, Christology. Okay, theology and all these. One of the things we do is Christology. We study of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's from his, his birth to his resurrection to his glorification. And we see that in the Gospels trying to be explained until, and also we get into the book of Acts to have an appreciation. But Paul, within these verses, he explains the Christology. He explains the life of Jesus Christ as an example to humility. As an example, an antidote to conflict in the church, but also in the homes. When you look at the work of Christ, it should help you and me to live in peace. And so Paul is explaining this, the, the model of humility. The, the, the way you can bring unity between you, with, uh, you and your spouse with, with your family. You need to be humble. But then if we talk about humility in a cultural setup, it's amazing how humility is portrayed in different cultures. You know that. If you go up north and you're walking along a road and you find a woman kneeling on the other side and the guy standing on the other side by this seem like they're talking to each other. In my culture, that is humility. But someone from a different culture, you can laugh. But then if I was going to explain humility and give an illustration of humility for a multicultural church like IBF, how do I do that? Thanks be to the Lord that Paul picks up a model of humility of the life of Christ. In other words, simpler version, if you want to be united, be as humble as Christ was united. But uh, was humble. But you ask me a question, but how was he humble? And this is exactly what Paul is doing and is explaining. And, and when you look at it, there are two elements. There's the ethical element and then there's a theological element. Now, I will not deal with one and then another. I will deal with them concurrently. I'll be saying this is, an, this is how you apply it in unity. And this is the theology. That's how I'll deal with it. But at the end of the day, in your blank space in the outline, you have the ethical element and you have also the theological element. Before we get into the passage, look at verse number one. Get deep in the passage. Have this mind among yourselves. Other versions would say, have this attitude among yourselves. Because the mind is the center, is the software that drives our lives. And Paul is writing that this is the software, this is the mentality that you as believers ought to have. Actually, it's amazing, many places in scriptures, he's talking about renewing our minds. Because it is from our mind that we do the actions. It's either we all are aligned with the biblical mind, and then we get united. Or we, each one of us, with our fallen nature, our cultural backgrounds that are dented by sin, we're holding on to our old thinking and trying to serve the Lord. There will always be tension. In other words, we need to grow in our minds. Some people would make comments to say, well, he was speaking with a, a Greek or Roman, Roman kind of thinking. The center was the mind. 
But whatever the case, the way a man thinks so is he, isn't it? We can only be united when we have the same mind as Christ. I had an uncle who used to work for Ministry of Trade before the Malawi, uh, democracy came to Malawi. So they would go into different districts and check scales for, you know, scales for weighing sugar and all that. And I tried to understand what do they, why do they do what they do. They said, well, in general corner at that time, that's where the ministry was, they had a standard of a kg that they compared with all kgs in Malawi. If they went somewhere and found a kg that was less or more than the kg in general corner, that was breaking the law. Brothers and sisters, in the same way, if we are going to be united, we should have the mind of Christ. I don't need to demand my wife to start thinking like me. I need to help my wife to have the mind of Christ. The result is that we shall be united. Whether it's in a, in a workplace, whether it's in a school, whether it is, a, whether it is in a community, where people have got the same mind. You get tuned. Those who tune, tune uh, instruments. It is understood that one note sounds the same, isn't it? So you can tune from the same. Several, several instruments, they will sound the same. Our minds should be aligned with the mind of Christ. And I want to assure you, if you're not a believer, if you're not born again, there's no way you can have a mind of Christ. You will have a mind of a fallen man struggling with sin. Maybe some of the tensions is because you are faking Christianity. You are not truly born again. You don't have the mind of Christ. Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 12. Renew your minds. We should not conform to the world. Some of us, our minds are conforming to the world. We cannot be united. The key thing is, how is your attitude? Attitude sets the way you interface with the world. Attitude or the mind sets the way you interface with the people in your home. Attitude sets the pace on the way you interface with the people in the community. And more so, in the church, if there are people who are not driven by the mind of Christ, there will be disjointment and disunity in the church. At times, people spend time to to, to deal with spirits that are bringing disunity. Here is the antidote. We should have the same mind. But where can we get the same mind? Paul is doing a great job to show us the great mind. He's taking the life of Christ as a sign of humility. We need to be humble. What is humility? We need to be humble as Christ was humble. In the first place, when we look at, at these scriptures, we, we are given the truth. We are given how much Christ humbled himself so that we can relate to our own lives in a humility. First of all, when we look at the life of Christ, we look at a, a symbol of humility, which is an antidote to any strife in any community. Number thing is you need to, number one thing you need in scriptures, when you look at verse number 6a, you need to look at the position from which Jesus came from. Go with me to the scriptures. Verse 6a, it says, verse 5, first of verse, verse number 5. We've, we've looked at the, 
the mind. And how do we get that mind? Verse 68 says, who though he was in the form of God, that's the position he held. Some of us, we fail to humble ourselves because we think I'm the husband. We think I'm, I'm, I'm the boss. We think I'm the firstborn. We think that I'm that beautiful woman. You think like you are such a great person in your own thinking. Learn from the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the form of God. It means he had the same attributes with God. He was not a mere man. And that's why I've named the, 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 the theme today to say Christmas, a model of humility. Because when he was born in a manger, he was not just a mere baby as many times we think. As many other churches, they always portray him in the church like a baby. He has always been God and he will always be God. Before the beginning of everything, the form that he had before he came to the world, he was God. At times we fail to unite because we think highly of ourselves, don't we? Some of us is because the culture which is, in which we grew up. In, in my culture, men can be very proud. They don't want to save. They want to be saved. At times it's just our sinful nature. You're thinking highly of yourself. And you're thinking like, I can't do that for my sister. I can't do that for my husband. I can't do that for my wife. You're thinking how Jesus was God and yet he came down. I think it's, it's C.S. Lewis talking, commenting on the same passage. He's talking about the coming of Jesus was like a rescuer who was diving through a deep sea to come and rescue us. And he said he went through different layers. To come and rest. and when he was going there, he was he was coming from a status, from a position that he was God. So we see in verse number six a, he was in the form of God, not just a form. He was God in his character, in his attributes, in his essence. He was God. Jesus has always been God. What a position! God coming, humbling himself. To save the world. That, as if that is not enough. Then he, look at verse number 6b. Did not regard equality with God as thing to be grasped. His status was not something. The word that is translated to be grasped is to, to hold on. Many times we hold on things. Holding. We, we hold on things. I, I, can't be, I can't keep this. It's so precious. You, you know, in the scriptures, when you look at the devil, the devil wanted to go up and be like God. But for Jesus, he, he didn't see that as something he could hold on. He left the position of being God. I, I mean, this, this is a principle we need to apply in our ethics. We, we need to let certain things go. For a moment, stop acting daddy and just meet your daughter or your son like just a man. Leave your status. In Africa, chiefs, chief mentality, pastors who are calling themselves different names, they hold on to their position as if the power is in the position. Jesus did not hold on to the position. He did not regard equality with God as something to hold on. I can't go because I will lose my being God. No, Jesus didn't. Many times it's rift between us is because of, you can't do that to me. Have you ever heard people who are angry say, do you know me? 
They're telling you their position. Because of their position, treat them in a certain way. You're violating their law if you treat them in a certain way because they hold on to their position. Please honor my position. Do you know who I am? Fathers, do you hear them first? I am your father. They're telling you their position. Mr. Father, just release your position a little bit. I'm your mother. Yes, we know it. Just come to terms. Humble yourself a little bit. There will be unity in the home. Oh, my parents didn't treat. You're holding on to your position. You're giving us your background. Many times, we have problems because of our positions. And in Africa, we protect our positions. Our, in Africa, as pastors, as leaders, we find our being not in the Lord, but we find our being in our positions. Jesus, Paul is teaching us through Jesus that being God was not something so precious that you would hang on. He left it. That's humility. This dive to come and rescue, rescue us was not just there. He's going even deeper, living things. Look at verse number 7a. But emptied himself. He emptied himself. Now, theologians will ask a lot of questions. What is it that he emptied himself from? He stopped being God? No. Jesus never stopped being God. You need to read scriptures because scriptures help to interpret scriptures. You go to the Lord's Prayer, then you discover, in John 17, you discover exactly what he loves. In John 17, I think it's in verse number 4, he says, Bring me back the glory that I had in the beginning. He didn't stop being God, but he wasn't with his glory that he had when he was with his father. After all, who would have, stand if, would have stood if Jesus had come with his glory? No one would stand. You remember in the book, in the Old Testament, in the book of Kings, they're talking about the Shinkana glory came in the room. They say that no one could save the other because the glory came down. We cannot relate with God if you would appear in his glory. Moses tried to, to see God in his glory. He couldn't. So Jesus, for the sake of reconciling us back to God, he emptied himself of his glory. That's the theology. He, he, he emptied himself of his glory. He didn't stop being God. When he was a baby in the manger, he was still God. But the picture of this, the God being trapped in a baby's body. That's humility. Have you seen how miserable babies are? The king of glory being trapped in the baby's body. That's humility. That's humility. Have you ever seen a dignified man stooping down and helping a guy on the streets? That picture will live to impact your life in terms of humility. The God himself coming down. It's like this diver who's taking off his jackets and is going down to get someone and rescue him. And the things he left is not his being. He can't leave his nature. Being God was his nature. He's divine. But what he left was his glory. You know what? If the president visited uh, Ntandine today without his glory, nobody would notice. But if the president would visit Ntandine with his glory, the whole world would know. Jesus emptied himself of his glory. It is an example for us. At times, we, you, you know, all of us, we have a certain glorified view of ourselves because we are sinful. 
You, 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 you remember the day you were in front of the mirror. You felt the most handy work God has ever done. You look handsome. You cringe your arms and then your muscles go up and you feel like, wow, there's no one in the world. The glory that you, you're feeding on of your soul. But that many times is that what comes in the way for us to be united. So we have this image of this man with six pack and people shouldn't treat me like that. The minibus driver can't point a finger at me. There's strife because we think highly of ourselves. Jesus came in the world because he emptied himself of his glory. Brothers and sisters, if there's going to be unity in that home, people should look at their glory. Just for minutes, take off the glory and save one another. There will be peace in the home. Be it in the church. Do you know all of us, because we're so fallen, we're thinking like we're glorified in one way or another, and there are certain things we can't just do. Paul is pointing us to the Lord. I think the best way is to identify us, practically identify the glories in ourselves, the things that make us think that we are what we are, and humble ourselves for the sake of the Lord, and start serving each, each other. You know what it will happen? Church will be a beautiful place to be. And these principles can be applied anywhere. Be it in the community. Be it in families, extended families. You need to humble yourself. In Chichewa, the people say, you cannot do that to me. In other words, they're telling you, I'm so glorified, I don't deserve that treatment. And strife goes on and on and on. How many times as, as brothers and sisters we remind each other in the home, direct sister and direct brother, they're not seeing eye to eye because you are looking at yourself as a glorified man. Look at Jesus. Being God was not something so precious that, that, that he could not leave and come and reach out to you. This is the humility that God is calling us to. If you look at verse number 7b, as if that was not enough. Having left his glory, verse 7 says, taking the form of a born servant. He took the form of a slave. If there is going to be unity in the church, we need to save. You remember what Jesus said? The leader among you is the one who saves, not the one who saved. Jesus said, I didn't come to, to be saved, but I came to save. There's pride among us. We are so dignified that we can't save the other person. We are so dignified that as a husband, I can't save my wife. As a, as a wife, I can't save my, 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 my husband. Even if you can look back and apply the same principles in areas of conflict where you disagreed with people, you will discover that this works and this brings reconciliation. How can the king of glory become like a slave? That's humility. That's, that's an antidote that will bring unity in the church. Can you imagine we all came here as servants waiting to worship God? As servants seeking to save one another? I'm, I'm, I'm preaching as a pastor. As someone also studies theology. At times even our theology makes us think like we're more dignified. But the Lord himself becomes a slave for our sake. We cannot be united in the homes until we humble ourselves. Look at ourselves as sinners saved by grace and there's no need to have pride in you. You are destined for hell, but the grace of God has saved you. That's all you are. 
The fact that you've read books, the fact that you have, God has provided the grace for you to be educated does not give you a status for you not to humble yourself. Jesus took the form of a born servant. Now, in a Malayan context, this is a maid in a home or a servant in a home. Think of this. Not even the president of Malaya can have allowed this humility. The whole community will rise up against you and say, that is, that, is, that is disrespectful to our president. But the king of glory became like a slave, became as a servant. As if that is not enough. I know we don't understand. Look at verse number seven. It says, and being made in the likeness of man. You know, for me, it's not a, you and me, it's not a big deal to be in a form of man. But for God, Remember someone who has got all the attributes. He's omnipresent. He's, he's all-knowing. So can you imagine being in the form of a man and the people you created, they are attacking you. And yet you have, you have, you have a garrison of millions and millions of angels that can attack, but, but he's restricted for God to be a man. It's humility. Brothers and sisters, we cannot be united and unity in the body of Christ in the homes, it's not something that just prays a magic wand and things start working. We need to look at Jesus and apply these principles in our lives. Then there will be unity. We cannot just sing about these things. We need to apply these things in our lives. Some of us, as I'm talking, as I alluded to earlier on, you are coming from a situation where relationships are not well. The answer is not that you bind the spirit of divisions. Division. The answer is you need to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is he lowers himself. You think he would just end up being a, a baby, but he's going even deeper, being a slave, being a man. Look at verse number 8a. Being found in the appearance of a man. Being a man is another thing, but in appearance like a man. God looking like man. That can only happen with a God who is humble. That can only happen with a God who is loving. We've seen several labels that Jesus is coming down, humbling himself. Many times, brothers and sisters, this cannot be done with a carnal mind. This can only be done and be practiced among us if the Spirit of the Lord is leading our lives. Many times you hear people trying, they'll say, I'm sick and tired, I've been trying to humble myself, you're not appreciating me. That means you are trusting in your own strength. To live this life, you need to trust in the Lord on daily basis. In your own strength, you cannot humble yourself this way. They will come to a point to say, ah, uh-uh, that's too much, I can't go as down as that. But by the grace of God, you can live this life. God is a, is a loving father. He will never ask us to do something that is impossible to do. If Paul is writing that this should be the mentality of the church in Philippi, it means it's doable. Do you want a peaceful home? Go apply this truth. Brothers as if, and sisters, as if that is not enough. Look at verse number 8. He humbled himself again. I thought that was enough. He humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death in verse number 8c. God dying. God being caught up in the body of the man and is now dying. 
As if that is not enough. Look at AD. Even death on the cross. I need to explain this. Have you gone to a funeral? Malawians, we're known for funerals, right? Africans, we're known for funerals. Some, Af some African countries, cultures, they'll do it even for longer. Seven days a morning. You wonder whether they are mourning or celebrating. It depends on the culture. There are certain deaths, you look at them and say, oh, this guy has died in style, eh? You look at his coffin, you look at the convoy that is escorting the, the, the remains of the man, you feel like this is the way people die. This is good dying. Right? A dignified death. Jesus, starting from his birth, he was not born in an inn. What a place for the king of glory to, to, enter, to enter the world in a manger. You'd think maybe his death would be dignified. No. The Bible talks about, curse is he who hangs on the tree. Jesus' death was, was the worst death he could die. Not only because the Bible says so, but think of it. The other time we preached about it. Slow death like that one. You would, I mean, you say, I would rather die very quickly than being tortured. There are certain deaths are more painful than other deaths, isn't it? There are certain deaths are more dignified. Jesus is humble even in his death. In Malawian culture, I can tell you, when you are sick, people will not come see die. You see how much they will dignify you. They will give you even the best blanket. As if you feel cold or warm in the grave. Brothers and sisters, this picture that scriptures are painting, is a call to us to be humble as Jesus was humble. He left the position of being God. What is it in that disagreement with your relatives that makes you feel you can't humble yourself? Some of you, you're not talking to your fathers. Some of you, it's your mother knows. You're not seeing eye to eye because you feel she didn't speak to you in a respectful manner. Why can't you just humble yourself? Why can't you look up to Jesus and tune your mind and be in line with Jesus? Some of you are not relating to your brothers and sisters because last week they said certain things that were so painful. If the Lord himself humbled himself in his birth, in his life, even in his death, what excuse do you have, my brother and my sister, not to unite? Many times, those stripes in the church, and the families, is because we are so proud to humble ourselves. If you are a true and genuine believer of Jesus Christ, this is the antidote. But let me tell you one thing. When you look at the theology of his death and birth, which is Christmas we've celebrated, and look at your own life, are you matching? The natural response is like, oh, this is overwhelming, I can't do that. Let me encourage you. Your dependence on the Lord should not only be for your food and your livelihood, but also in your walk with Him, in your application of the principles that He teaches from His Scriptures. If you ask God to help you to be a woman, a husband, to be a wife that humbles Himself, not before your husband, first of all, but before God, you have the mind that was in Christ, that marriage is on, on the roads to heal. That school is going to bloom, to bloom again. This church will live in unity. We may be the smallest church in town, but this, if we apply in our lives, in our daily lives, 
this is a this is a place where the unity that the Bible teaches will exist, and everyone will look forward to another Sunday because here you feel loved and you feel the presence of God because people are humble enough. Brothers and sisters, when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, his work didn't end up there. Look at verse number 9 to 11. The result of such a life will ha happen to Jesus, but it can happen to you as well. Look at verse number 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on him a name that is above every name. Scriptures are talking about Jesus being exalted, sitting on the right hand of the Father. In the book of Acts, I think it's even talking, so he saw Jesus standing. A place of dignity after humbling himself. Scriptures say, humble yourself and God will lift you up. Matthew chapter number 23. A sinful nature struggles to humble, to humble ourselves. In my culture, if someone is, 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 is actually provoking you, the normal human response is show him your, proud, your pride. Our, our cultures are full of pride. We strive. Have you ever? This kid makes me proud. Pride is an abomination to the Lord. I know I'm just, I'm just uh, appreciating my kid. Very soon your kid will be walking around exactly with the pride you're pumping into him. So Jesus is given, is lifted up because of his humility. Jesus is given a name. That name is not just a name. That name is authority. That name is a name. The Bible is saying every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Everyone, whether in hell, whether in heaven, we will bow to this name. Whether you haven't received him or not. When that day of judgment comes, everyone will say, Jesus is Lord. I don't know you. Have you received Jesus Christ? You cannot humble yourself like Jesus humbled himself. You cannot have the mindset, the attitude that was in Christ. Unless he forgives you of your sins. Is your name written in the book of life? Are you called the child of God? The Bible says to those who believed in him, he gave them the power to become the children of God. They were adopted in the family. Yes, you come to IBF. Yes, you're a member of a church. Does God know you? Are you a believer? Have you bended the knee and have you confessed Jesus is Lord? Do you know Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord? Is your name written in the book of life? Or you are just someone who comes and warms the pews. Whatever, whatever position you take to, to bend your knee now to him or to confess him, I can assure you it's a matter of time. You will. Some will do that in the wrong place when they're in hell, gnashing their teeth. God is as if he's pleading with you this morning. Things cannot be well at your workplace. Things cannot be well in your marriage. We cannot be a united church unless we all bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. Why are you resisting? Some of us, we act in Christian. We've been just religious. We're refusing the power. But I can assure you, a time will come. Not only for the sake of humility and unity, but for the sake of you being united to God. Have you bended the knee to Christ? Let us pray.
Oh Lord, none of us, none of us on their own can live this life. When we look back, we we look back with a sense of shame of our pride. When we gaze at the model of humility that Jesus taught us. And many times we ignore it and brush it off as if it can happen, as if it's not doable. Oh, Father, we are sorry for our pride. Even as we, we have Christmas on our heels, just happened a few days ago celebrating him. A sign of humility. God being called in a baby's body for, 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 for the sake of a man who sinned against God. And yet we fail to treat our brothers and sisters, our wives and our husbands, our children, our parents, with humility. Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone here who has not personally asked for the forgiveness of their sins and praised their trust in you for their salvation, I pray that, Heavenly Lord, you help them. The Bible says a broken and contrite heart God does not despise. You could be here this morning and you're saying, that's me. The Bible is encouraging you to go before the Lord with a broken heart. Tell him how, how sorry you are. Not pretending, not just following a sinner's prayer, but with a genuine broken heart before the Creator. He will save you. This is our prayer, Heavenly Father. Even a broken heart is a gift from you. How we pray that you would give broken hearts on each one of us over sin. That indeed we can have a life that is pleasing to you. May your name be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.